Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to Keyboard Kamara. I am your host, Mr. Kite. Friendly neighborhood Spencer Man. It is Thursday, August 17th, which means it is time for 10 things I like about UFC 292. This is a fantastic fight card taking place on Saturday at TD Garden Arena in Boston, Massachusetts, headlined by a pair of championship fights. I love everything about this card. I am so excited about this card. I can't wait to get into the predictions and the betting show tomorrow and to sit down and watch this fight card on Saturday. This is the stuff I'm going to be looking out for. So let's get to it. Item number one, Aljamain Sterling's legacy fight for now. So I add the for now because Aljamain Sterling can further his legacy depending on how this fight goes and where it goes after this. But for right now, this is a chance against Sean O'Malley on Saturday to add to the records he already holds in the bantamweight division. He has the most consecutive successful title defenses at three, the longest winning streak at nine and counting streak he's currently on now, and the most wins in division history at 14 and counting. Those things alone set Aljamain Sterling up as at least in the conversation for the best bantamweight in UFC history might be the best bantamweight in UFC history, full stop. I don't care about getting into these debates. I don't care about getting into these arguments because everybody can make a case and everybody wants to just ignore other people's ideas and thoughts and things of this nature. And so I just stay out of it and say, Aljamain Sterling's really goddamn good. And this is a chance for him to add to it. If he wins on Saturday night, this is what I envision happening. It is what he would like to see happen. And I feel comfortable saying that because one, he has said it publicly. Two, he said it to me last week. Win this fight on Saturday, defeating Sean O'Malley, make the UFC sugar-free, as he would say. Go up and face Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title and go from there. In his mind, win that fight, maybe defend it once or twice, and then we're done. Now, if you go out and beat Sean O'Malley, that opens the door to all of this. And that's why I say the for now part of legacy fight for now. Because a win here opens, opens that door, creates that possibility, sets in stone the bantamweight side of things. Three former champions and the top prospect to close out your run at 135 is absolutely outstanding. Few people can match the resume that he has. He has that earlier win. First round submission win over Corey Sandhagen. The resume, the record, the list of vanquished foes. I know people don't want to give Aljo credit. People don't like Aljo for one reason or another. But the resume is legit. And this is a chance for him to just cement that bantamweight position. Featherweight could create more. And I think Aljamain Sterling can have success at featherweight. He has a good size. He has a good frame for going up there. We know he cuts a bunch of weight to make 135. And so there's some possibilities for the next chapter to add to the legacy. But for Saturday night, it's a chance to absolutely cement his standing in the upper tier, in the pantheon level of greats at Bantamweight. And I'm looking forward to seeing if he can get it done. Item number two, we're getting answers about Sean O'Malley. This is such a critical fight. And the thing that is so fascinating to me about this fight and why I am so genuinely transfixed by this fight and can't wait. I'm going to close my computer when this fight starts so I can just take it all in. The reason is we just don't know whether Sean O'Malley is absolutely lights out or not. And we're going to find out on Saturday. Like 
he might be the best bantamweight on the planet. He might be the guy that he says he is. He might be able to go out there and find Aljamain Sterling's chin and put him out. We don't know. There are certainly a group of people and a segment of people that think he is. There's also that other side that thinks it's all fake. That thinks it's not all fake. I shouldn't say all fake. That thinks it is protected. So I have a piece on OSDB coming out on Friday, May UFC 292 preview. And in that piece, I called Sean O'Malley the anointed one because his path has been relatively easy. He has one win over a fighter still on the UFC roster. He lost to Cheeto. No contest with Munoz. Those are the two best opponents he fought prior to facing Piotr Jan. The thing that I like about it is that Sean O'Malley will be the first person to cop to all of that. I did an interview with him or, or my colleague Zach, Zach Paklub did an interview with him. I got to contribute some questions. We put a piece together that should be up on the UFC website by, by now as you are watching and hearing this. And in there we said like, what do you say to all the people that have been critical of the, the level of competition? And he framed it out perfectly. Well, I beat Piotr Jan and that's not a guy that you beat if you're not very good. So I must be okay. And yep, everybody before that, I hadn't faced the best competition possible, but I beat Piotr Jan. So now what? And that, that now what is the part that sucks me in is the part that draws me into this fight so much because it's quite clear that Sean O'Malley is skilled. He is technical. He has abilities. It's just a matter of, does he have all the way up here abilities? I talked about it yesterday on one question. The thing that Harry mentioned the Max Holloway quote of, you know, getting to the upper echelon, getting to that top three takes a certain amount of drive, but getting to that championship level is a whole nother ball game. I don't know if Sean O'Malley's got that next level. I said it yesterday. That's the thing I want to see. But just the possibility, just the questions that exist in this fight on the O'Malley side is enough to draw me in. I'm, I'm sold on this fight. I didn't think I was going to be as into and invested in this fight as I am. But the more that I have written about it, the more that I've put stuff together about it, talked to Tyson about it for coach conversations, talked with Harry about it, talked to O'Malley, put that story together. Like I am all the way in and finding out whether this kid is the real deal or not is so fascinating to me that I can't wait for Saturday. Item number three, strawway banger. My hunch is that the coming event, the strawway title fight between Zhang Wei Li and Amanda Lemos turns into a banger and a really entertaining fight. It may not carry on that way. It may not be that way for 25 minutes. It may not go that long. I don't think it is going to be a reasonable facsimile of Zhang Weili and Yuan and Yin Jae Chick part one. It might be similar. It might be similar to part two of that series. But I do think it's going to be a lot of fun while it lasts. Lemos has... Keen finishing instincts, good power. We've seen her in there. We've seen her finish the last two opponents, choking out Michelle Watterson-Gomez, lost her name for a second, and stopping Marina Rodriguez on the feet without putting her down, just overwhelming her and it being too much. We saw the walk-off knockout of Montserrat Canejo earlier in her career, things of that nature. We know she can crack. We know she can find a finish. Zhang Weili, tested, proven, looking to start a second run after not really having that big of a first run, right? She was in the absolute classic with Yin Jae Chik, but lost the title 
a minute into her second title defense. So as much as she has been at the forefront of this division and in that championship mix for a number of years, she hasn't really actually truthfully cemented her standing in the division ever. Absolutely in that top three, in that small group at the top of the division, but hasn't ever really truly solidified herself as the best full stop. This is a chance to. The division's in a bit of a weird place right now. This feels like the start of the next chapter. This feels a little bit like a reset. We've got some other names to look at going forward as potential title challengers in Yan Jaonan, in Tatiana Suarez. Rose Nami Yunus has moved up. Carlos Sparza is out of the picture. Yoana Yanjacek has retired. And so it feels fresh. But this could be, I got a feeling this is going to be good. I got a feeling this is going to be entertaining. My thought, my, my guess, is that Amanda Lemos comes out looking to take the fight to Zhang Weili and see if she can put her on the defensive. Understand that she needs to be the aggressor. She needs to be the one landing the big shots coming out of the gate. And I think that creates a very, very entertaining fight. Item four, Ian Machado Gary's next test. This is everything I want for a top prospect. This is all the stuff that I crave. This is exactly what I am looking for for a fighter like Gary at this point in time. Two wins already this year, tremendous performances, rallying against Song Kinan, and then just looking terrific against Daniel Rodriguez. Now he gets Neil Magny in a fight that is winnable, but also one of those ones where you don't want to fuck around. Harry and I were talking about it a little bit earlier in the week, and he said, like, what are your thoughts? Any, any hint of picking Magny? And I said, no, but it's one of those ones where Ian Gary needs to just be locked in. He needs to go out and fight like he did against Daniel Rodriguez. Full of confidence, but not cocky. Assured of what he can do, but not out here trying to style and be extra. Just go out there and do you, because that's what this fight is. Neil Magny has said, talking to the UFC digital crew this week, that he was already kind of preparing and getting himself in shape just in case an opportunity like this presented itself at this card. He was going to be at the show coaching and cornering regardless. And so he got himself ready. So this is, yes, short notice, but Neil Magny is a guy always in good shape, always has good conditioning, training at altitude. Obviously that is a part of it. He has some things that can be challenging if Ian Gary isn't dialed in. And this is the one where we just see, okay, he looked great against D-Rod. The guy outside of the top 15 or just in the bottom of the top 15 at the time. Veteran guy, we knew the level. Looked great, took the next step. Is he ready to take the next one again? Is he ready to get pushing towards that top 10 and facing some of those real established names? It won't happen because they trained together at Killcliffe, but a win here puts him in that Vicente Luque territory. And I don't know right now if I would pick Ian Gary to beat Vicente Luque. Again, I don't think it will happen because they are teammates and training partners in South Florida. But that's sort of the range we're talking about. We're talking about Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena, and maybe Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And those are all interesting fights. You get through Neil Magny, and there's some big fights on the horizon for the future. Item number five, Mario Batista's breakout opportunity. Now, it seems like this fight is happening. It seems like the fight with Damone Blackshear is happening. It is happening at Bantamweight, so Mario Batista stays on the card. That makes me happy. I think this is a chance for him to really show out. The division is front and center. Not only this week with three fights on the main card provided 
Batista and Blackshear remains on the main card. But three fights on this card. We had the Sandhagen Font main event earlier in the in the month. We had Kyler Phillips fight. We've got Rinya Nakamura next week in Singapore. A lot of stuff happening in the division in August. And this is a chance for Mario Batista, while surrounded by a bunch of names with a bunch of people paying attention to the division, to stand up and say, hi, my name's Mario Batista and I've won five straight. I'm very much a factor in this division. Now that is, if he goes out and beats Damone Blackshear, so I guess conversely, a breakout opportunity for Damone Blackshear as well. But this is a chance for Batista to shine on a big stage. The fight with Cody Garbrandt, the reason it made so much sense for Mario Batista and was such a smart, quick yes, I'm sure, when that name came across the desk, is because it's a big name that doesn't present as much trouble, as much danger, as much of a challenge as he did in the past. No disrespect to Cody Garbrandt, but he is not the fighter that he was when he was the champion of this division. But he's still a big name. He's still a name that people recognize, that people know. They see him on the lineup and they go, hey, I'm the former champion, that's a good win. It's not as good as it was when this losing streak started or even the first couple losses outside of those championship fights to TJ Dillashaw, which we can adjudicate some other time. But it still would have been a good win for Mario Batista, who is on a four-fight winning streak, who has finished his last three in the first round and yet doesn't have a ton of momentum because he's a quiet, unassuming guy in the best division in the sport. This is the chance, even though it's still a lesser name, and there's going to be, as I said yesterday, there's automatically going to be some yeah buts if he goes out and looks great against Damone Blackshear. But you win five straight in this division. I don't care who it's against, what the circumstances are. You don't win five straight in this division without being really good. And I think Mario Batista is really good. And I think this is an opportunity for him to go out push the winning streak to five. And as I said, stand up and say, pay attention to me because I'm coming. I'm coming for the top 15. I'm coming for some of the names you know and like and respect and appreciate. And I'm coming for them. Love this opportunity. Item number six, Cheeto Vera and Pedro Munoz is happening. This is one of those fights where like, you see it announced, doesn't matter whether it's got stakes involved, ramifications involved, whatever it is. Just the fact that these two dudes are fighting gets me excited. Because Pedro Munoz, stylistically, this is the exact fight that you want for each of these dudes. Pedro Munoz brings the aggressiveness, the willingness to stand in the pocket and trade and take shots and trust his chin. That pushes a guy like Marlon Vera, who can be a little hesitant at time. It puts a target right in front of him and says, here. Here's my lead leg. I'm heavy on it. Go ahead and kick away at that if you want. Here's my chin. It's out here. I think it's going to hold up. Let's just get after it, boy. And on the flip side of that, Cheeto Vera is a guy that Mar Pedro Munoz will happily try to hunt down, will happily go forward, trying to bomb on, because that's what Pedro Munoz does. He's allergic. He is incapable of being in a boring fight. You now stick them together. And to me, it is guaranteed excitement. This is one of those fights. It's number six versus number 10 in the rankings. Like these dudes right now are well outside of the championship mix because Bantamweight is so damn good and that top five is so outstanding. But like this is six versus 10 and it's a tremendous fight. It is a tremendous fight. If you stuck this as the main event on a fight night card, even the people that hate everything the UFC does would be like, yeah, this is a great fight. This is a dope fight. And it's opening the main card. 
This is also, to me, as I touched on yesterday, a big, a big fight, a meaningful fight for Cheeto Vera, who's coming off that loss to Corey Sanhagen, who didn't fire, who didn't get going the way that his coach and, and he naturally tends to do. So I want to see if he can dial it up, but this is a hell of a way to kick off the main card. Item number seven, entertaining tough finals. Listen, I know that people like to bag on the ultimate fighter. I liked this season. And yes, I recapped it for UFC.com. So I had a, not even vested interest, but it was a, you know, responsibility. I had a fiduciary tie to it. But watching the season, I enjoyed the season. They were good fights. I liked the tension and the heat between Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor. I liked Team Chandler running it up on Team McGregor. It was fun every single week to see Michael Chandler just continue to smile as his veterans posted win after win after win after win over Conor McGregor, who just for the life of him couldn't believe that his young, inexperienced fighters didn't know how to do all of the things that he knows how to do as a former two-weight world champion. That was great to me. It was fascinating to me to see Conor McGregor go crazy when his team got a win. And then Michael Chandler kind of look at him and be like, bro, we're seven and one against you. Settle down. Like, relax. And I think these fights on Saturday, the lightweight final and the bantamweight final are going to be good fights. They are going to be entertaining fights. Austin Hubbard versus Kurt Hollibaugh in the lightweight final is a clash of styles. Hubbard, a very technical, tactical, methodical kind of guy. And Kurt Hollibaugh is just a bat out of hell from Louisiana that's going to come after it and try to get this thing over with right away. He will make it a banger. He will do everything in his power to make it a banger. And I think Austin Hubbard is going to have to oblige. Neil Magny, this is the guy that Neil Magny was going to be there for anyways. It's going to be, it's going to be a banger. In the bantamweight fight, Brad Katona, Cody Gibson, I just want to see, like, look, it might be a slog. It might be an absolute grind fest because that's how Brad Katona fights. But there's a little bit of heat between these two and Brad Katona is trying to make history. And anytime I can see somebody try to make history, I want to watch it. It's a Canadian kid who is training at SBG and has been for a number of years, but one season 27. Let's see if he can get season 30, 31 as well. This is a second chance for guys that washed out early. We talk all the time and people in the MMA bubble talk all the time about, ah, oh, it's such a, such a crime that this guy got let go and this person got sent out too soon. Here's a chance for four people that struggled in their first run to get a second opportunity. This is the thing that people talk about wanting for some of these athletes time and again. And now it's here. So give them that opportunity. Give them that recognition. Or is it just not that, or is it because it's through tough, because it's through another UFC vehicle that we can't? It's another one of those cases where I hear a lot of people saying they want to see stuff like this happen. And then when it does, they're not really on board. I can't wait for it. I think they're going to be great fights. Pay attention. Item number eight, middleweight grappler showdown between Andre Petrosky and Gerald Mershire. As much as I'm hoping for a grappling match, as I talked about yesterday, please just give me a no-gi fight. Even give me one exchange, one good period of scrambles. It's a key fight for Andre Petrosky. He's 4-0 in the UFC, but he hasn't really faced anybody too established. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. The biggest win in terms of names is Wellington Terman, who's a 500 fighter in the UFC and has dropped down to welterweight as of right now. Petrosky comes from a good team has some very good grappling, has a little bit of power in his hands, and he's facing a guy in Gerald Mearshart that is the quintessential mid-pack guy. 
if he beats you, it means you're not ready. And if you beat him, it's going to take something. You don't just go out there. And I mean, yes, Hamzat Chemayev went out there and just blasted through Gerald Mershart. But we've seen what Hamzat Chemayev is. That's sort of the measure, right? Go back and look at who is beaten and who is not beaten. Gerald Mershart. And it tells you a story. It paints a picture of this division and of each of those athletes at that point in time. This is a chance for Petrosky to show that he is more than just a mid-pack middleweight. It's a chance for him to go. Again, similar to the Batista thing. I don't care who you fight. If you go 5-0 and in the UFC, you win five straight, regardless of division, regardless of competition. That means there's no banana peels. There's no off nights. There's no weird illegal fouls. There's no nothing. You went out and won five straight. That puts you on the radar. That gets you a step up in competition. That makes you somebody we got to pay attention to, even if it's just a little bit, even if this is just the moment he finally gets on the radar and starts fighting slightly better names than Gerald Mearshart. I'm fine with that. It's a key fight for Petrosky, and I want to see what he can do. Item number nine, Natalia Silva's biggest fight yet. 3-0 in the UFC, winner of nine straight overall. All the UFC wins are good wins. Unanimous decision over Jasmine Jazdavisius. Third round spinning back kick finish of Teresa Bleda. And then a first round mauling of Victoria Leonardo last time out. She's 26. And now she gets a step up in competition. And Andrea Lee is the perfect litmus test for her. She has proven. She is dangerous. She has good size. She's solid everywhere. She's five and five in the UFC. The losses are all by decision. Nobody finishes this woman thus far in the UFC. You know the caliber of fighter that she is. She is the quintessential female measuring stick. She is the Neil Magny of the women's flyweight division. It takes a certain level to beat Andrea Lee. And even the people that have beaten her, it hasn't been easy. Three of those losses are split decisions. A couple of them, you could argue, should go the other way. She's not far off from being seven and three or eight and two in the UFC. She's that good. And she knows her back is against the wall. She's coming into this on a two-fight slide. She's not going to go out there and lay down for Natalia Silva. So we're going to find out if my thoughts on Natalia Silva, that she is the goods, that she is part of that ascending set that includes Aaron Blanchfield and Casey O'Neill and Macy Barber and Miranda Maverick and now Jasmine Jazdavisius as well, if she's part of that crew and where she fits in that mix. This is that kind of fight. I, I talk about it all the time. We know what it takes to beat Andrea Lee and how you beat Andrea Lee tells us a lot about you. Everybody thus far, it's been a grind. It's been hard. It's been 15 minutes. It's been the judges. So if Natalia Silva goes out and stops her, that tells us something. That tells us something in relation to not only her own skills, but in comparison to a Macy Barber that lost to, that beat her, excuse me, that beat Andrea Lee last time out. To a Viviani Araujo, who beat her two fights back. Fascinated by this fight. Love this fight. Love this opportunity. Love Natalia Silva as a prospect. Glad to see her compete again. Last one before we get out of here. More Karine Silva as well. 2-0 in the UFC. Two first round submission wins. Automatically puts you on my radar. Has me in the let me see more camp. Darce choke first time out. Nibar second time out. Those are quality subs. Those are skill subs to me. And listen, somebody that knows way more about grappling can jump in here and be like, nah, they're not as dope as you're making them sound. But they're not rear naked chokes. 
right? This isn't you jumped gilly on somebody that left their neck out there. You got to know how to lock up a Dar's choke. You got to know when the timing is there and the execution and finish of a knee bar as Karina Silva did on Ketlin Souza last time out where she dropped back and you just saw the knee pop. She has good size. She has good power in her hands. We saw that in the debut against Pollyanna Botelho, but she also plays to her strengths as we saw last time out against Souza. This fight against Marina Morose, Morose is kind of, to me, like Andrea Lee Light. She is the target Kmart version of Andrea Lee. She's six and four in the UFC, a couple of good wins, lost to good fighters. Like we know where she fits and what a victory over her means. Same thing, just a little bit further down in the hierarchy. This is also a rematch. Morose won the first one in 2014. That win was the last win to get her into the UFC. This is the opening bout of the night. This is the other thing that I want to touch on here with this and with this card as a whole as we wrap up. This is the opening fight of the night. This is a terrific fight. This is an ascending, promising prospect in the best women's division in the UFC. And it kicks off the show. Everything else from here on up is terrific. This is going to be a fantastic night of fights. I'm going to knock on wood just in case because you don't ever want to jinx it. You don't ever want to Joe ban it as Laura Sanko and Paul Felder have now made an actual verb to Joe ban something as in to curse it. Shouts to Alan Joe ban. But I think this is going to be a fantastic card. I am pumped as you can tell. I will be back tomorrow with the double dip, the punch drunk predictions and the betting show. Follow me, follow all of that content at Spencer Kite on Twitter and Instagram. Sign up for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter through that QR code if you are watching here on YouTube. And if you're just listening in your earphones, spencerkite.substack.com, $0, $5 a month, 50 bucks for the year, gets you everything straight into your inbox as soon as I hit publish, which is, I was going to say just about every day, but we're going to dial that back. We're going to play around with that a little bit just to make sure that all the paid work gets done and some life stuff gets done and we enjoy the last little bit of summer here in sweltering hot Abbotsford. As always, check out my guys at One Bone onebonebrand.com for all your apparel needs. ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Check them out. Check me out. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you're pumped. We'll be back tomorrow for the double dip. Until then, be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. We'll talk soon.